Well, yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend, <clears throat> so I appreciate the fact that you guys took time off from going to your garage sales <laughs> to be here today. I uh, saw that there's uh, at least 102 garage sales going on in Oregon alone this weekend. So I'll get you out of here, you know, 10, 15 minutes. It's all good? That way you can get going. Uh, no, it's a, it's a day that we remember um, ordinary men and women <clears throat> who heard the call from their country to defend our freedom, and they paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And it's, it's an awesome sacrifice that they made. It's an awesome thing for us to remember. We thank God for them, <clears throat> for their families, and, and for the freedom uh, they secured for us. As I was thinking through <clears throat> that, it, it's, uh, it's the same for those ordinary men and women back in the first century, or <clears throat> from their point forward to today, and Christians today, ordinary men and women who have placed their faith in Christ, who are giving, have given, are giving their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the eternal freedom from hell, from sin, and they're paying with their, their lives. You know, our, our military, those in the military, they, they're, um, they don't just claim to be soldiers. Uh, they go out and prove it. <clears throat> those who gave their lives proved it ultimately. And it's the same thing for Christians, especially those who died. They didn't just claim to be Christians. They didn't hang out on Sunday mornings, and that was it. They proved it. They lived it. They lived it with their lives. They gave their lives. And, and that's the challenge before us this morning as we look at James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19. You can turn there. It's page 1208. <clears throat> Excuse me. See, faith in Christ is a faith that walks. That's what we're talking about. It's a moment-by-moment, circumstance-by-circumstance moment response based on what God says in His Word, in the Bible. How does He want us to respond to those circumstances? <clears throat> in the last two weeks, we've talked about faith's response to trials. When those difficult times come our way that we didn't even maybe bring about, somebody else has brought about, or just... It happens to us. How, do, how does faith respond to that? We've talked about that. We've talked about how does faith respond to temptation, that inner struggle that we have within ourselves, our, our own flesh trying to get us to do that which God doesn't want us to do. And we talked about that spiritual battle now that we have spiritual life. And today we're going to be talking about faith's response <clears throat> excuse me, to God's Word. This is probably the most important week um, so, you know, once it's up on Facebook or podcast, you know, be sharing it around because this is the most important week in this whole series, I think, because <clears throat> what God gives us in his word is how he wants us to respond. And if, if we don't see God's word as our ultimate authority, if we look at God's word and say, yeah, it's an opinion amongst other opinions, if we're willing to listen to what other people are going to tell us about how we should live our lives, in place of what God tells us, then the rest of James will mean nothing to us. <clears throat> we'll continue to struggle with our trials. We'll continue to struggle with our temptations. We'll con continue to struggle with the issues that James talks about in our lives. 
And so if you're here this morning, and you are, and if you're not here and you're listening, my challenge to you is don't just listen to what's being talked about, to what God has James write to us. Commit to it. No matter how difficult you might think it is, no matter how scary you might think it is, no matter how crazy it might seem to you or to other people in your life who are watching you make this commitment, commit to it, because as God says, it's in that that you will be blessed. That divine favor God will give to you, in you and in, through you. So how does a faith that walks respond to God's word? So we're going to look at what James has to write here. Now, you might be familiar with this passage. Don't let the familiarity cause you to, to kind of think about those garage sales. Um, pay attention because what seems like it doesn't necessarily connect, connects. And again, to me, um, I would say this is probably the most crucial part. We get this nailed down. We got, we got things nailed pretty good. So James continues on. He says, so this you know, my beloved brother. Know what? This. But everyone must be quick to hear, <clears throat> slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness or the purposes. He's not talking about if you're, no longer, if you're not angry, God's going to make you righteous so you can go to heaven. He's talking about God's righteousness, his, his purpose that he wants to do, his will that he wants to do in and through us. Therefore, <clears throat> because of that, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility... Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, the Bible, uh, James kind of gives it some other names, but he's talking about the Bible, the Word of God, and abides by it, <clears throat> not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man, woman, person, will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, how does God... Define religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. So James tells us that a faith that walks is a faith that does two things. Ultimately, it trusts God's word, and then it lives out God's word. And again, you can't have one without the other, right? If you're trusting it, you're going to live it. If you're living it, obviously, you're trusting it. So let's look more closely at this idea of faith trusts God's Word. He starts out by saying, this you know. So this, this uh, teaching that he gives us, you go on to the next one, <clears throat> this you know. What do we know? Well, we know that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is something that we know, and that that anger doesn't accomplish the purpose of God. It's, it's something that his readers, these Jewish Christians, know. It's not something new to them. It's something they've heard. It's something that they've probably known for a long time because this is a principle uh, that is in like the Proverbs, in the Old Testament Proverbs. It's actually in some of their non-biblical writings, the Sirach, uh, for instance. And, and so this principle is, is something that they're, they understand, that 
good relationships, in order to have good relationships, a person needs to be quick to hear, you know, listening to what the other person has to say, slow to speak, so they're not going to respond right away. They're going to kind of think about what the person is saying and whether it's a good or bad thing the person is going to take a deep breath, kind of think through it, understand what's going on, and they're going to be slow to resentment is what that word means. Anger here means resentment. This isn't a, an anger that's um, yelling and cussing and just all worked up. And This word actually means this inner resentment. It's, it's smoldering. It's under the circuit surface. It may, it may come out in yelling, but really it starts with this inner resentment, this um, inner unwillingness to do what it is that God wants me to do within this relationship. And so that anger, that resentment that's sitting there, it's unable to accomplish the purpose of God, the righteousness of God, what God wants to do in this person. And then through that person in the life of somebody else. And we all get that, right? Maybe difficult for us, for us to do, but we get it, right? We understand, okay, if we want a relationship that's going to work, we, and we see other relationships that are doing that are working, we get that. Makes perfect sense. But here's the interesting twist that James does. So they know that in relationship to each other. Now James takes it and he says, hey, by the way, it's the same when it comes to hearing God's word. Because, because man's anger, man's resentment, man's um, unwillingness to hear what God has to say, or if we do hear it, our tendency to be quick to speak, that doesn't accomplish what God wants to do in our lives or in a, through us in the lives of other people. And we get that, right? <clears throat> Read along in God's Word. God's Word tells us, do not lie. Okay, but there's this one situation. And so, you know... I get it, like all these other people, yeah, they're good to me. This person, maybe it's okay for me to lie. Maybe I should. You don't understand, God, the situation. You don't get what's going on. I can't believe you say that I shouldn't lie to this person. That's being quick to speak. That's being rationalizing. Talking over what God's telling you. You're not slow or quick to hear. You're being slow to hear. God says you need to be you know, sexually pure. You need to not have sex outside of marriage. You're like, yeah, but man, if, you, if I do that, my friends are going to think I'm nuts. The person I'm dating is going to think I'm nuts. They may not even want to be around me anymore. I know what God's Word says, but you don't understand my situation. God says don't gossip. It's just a prayer request that I'm sharing. You know, I'm really concerned about this person and so I'm letting everybody know about what this person shared with me because, you know, God says don't do it. Yeah, but there's so many good reasons why I should. No, there's no good reason why you should because God word says don't do it. God says, hey, you need, to, you need to gather together with your church family. Yeah, but you don't understand. I, I work on Sundays, which by the way, we have Thursday nights that we get together. So if you work Sundays, Thursday nights are, you're all here. Um, so if you're listening and you're working, come Thursday nights. People out there in the internet world. 
Come Thursday nights, be with the church family. God says it's part of your spiritual development. All of these things are for our good. God says this is, this is good for you to do these things or to not do these things. As the case may be, it's good for you. It's, your, it's for your spiritual development. <clears throat> God says serve. Yeah, well, you know, I got things going on and things at my house, things in my life. Listen, again, <clears throat> none of the things that God tells us to do or not do are bad for us. They're all good for us. They're all part of our, our spiritual growth and development. But when we don't do what God tells us to do, if we're not quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to resentment, what ends up happening is we are, I always get these mixed up, we are quick, no, slow to hear, we are quick to speak, we're quick to rationalize, we're quick to say no, and don't get it. And then what happens? There's that resentment that's growing in us. That we may not even say it's there, but God sees it. God's saying, you know, telling you what to do and you're, you're not listening to me. You're going to hurt yourself. Faith that walks responds differently. It actually responds in two ways. It responds two ways simultaneously. It's not one and then the other. Uh, it's not one without the other. It's both at the same time. That's what simultaneous means. I, I was in the S's the other day, found that word, thought I'd use it. Hopefully it makes me sound really intelligent. So while we're putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, which we'll explain, while we're doing that, at the same time, in humility, we receive the word of God that's implanted. And again, we're going to explain these, these things for us. So what does it mean? So putting aside, <clears throat> it means, it's a pretty cool Greek word there. I'll let you try to pronounce it. But continually put to the side. Stop doing. It has this... It's that continually again. You remember we talked about this before in some other services. It, it's this day by day, moment by moment, no matter what the circumstance, putting aside, ceasing, stopping, no longer doing the thing that God says you shouldn't be doing. What is it? Well, filthiness. And, you know, it's just all moral impurity. It, just anything you think <clears throat> or do, Anything that God says, hey, don't do it, and we end up doing it. It's kind of a general word. All that remains of wickedness. It means the excess of badness. <clears throat> we talked last week about the fact that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We are sinners. All of us. We're all really good at it. If there's anything that we have in common, <laughs> is that we're all sinners. We're all messed up. And we're good at it. That's what he's saying. If we think that we're not that or not so bad, that's when we start doing the whole, well, hmm, maybe, because after all, no, there's an excess of badness in us, and we're all there. No matter how we might look to others, we're all there. And so again, as we been talking about it, we continually evaluate and, and adjust and, and respond the way God wants us to respond. So while we're doing the evaluating, we're evaluating our hearts, and our minds, our attitudes, our actions, at the same time, we're to be receiving the Word implanted in us. Now this means we need to have the Word, right? It, receive the Word in, uh, implanted in us. It's in, in, in humility, it means to be teachable. In other words, God knows better than us. 
we have got to believe that God knows better than us how this life should be lived, right? God is the one who created it. If I was smart enough to invent something, and I'm not, but if I were, and I showed you how to work it, and then you started working it wrong, who's the only one who could tell you that it's wrong? Me. I invented it. God invented it. And so we need to be teachable. We need to be real. Okay, I'm not God. I don't know. What I think is crazy and weird and strange and may cause some issues and blow up my life, I might think that, but I need to be teachable. And it says to receive it. It means to grasp and to hold on to something. Let it take a hold of us. It just really means to trust. Trust that God's got this figured out. And it makes, it makes logical sense this way. Well, wait. It says implanted, because it works better with this idea of implanted. So, at the point of salvation, God's word, in that sense, is implanted in us. It's a seed. It's not fully blossomed yet. It's a seed. It's like with Kim. She's been doing a lot of planting, and she pushes the seed into the ground, and then she covers it over, and then she says, you need to feed it. So I go in, I make bacon and eggs, and then I sit you know, and she's like, do you got something else to do? Like the cabinets, you know, something like that. So I go in and I do the cabinets. I guess there's, there's some plant food that you're supposed to use. I don't know, whatever. So I left, and, but when you do that, then, but there's a seed. And then eventually that seed is nourished, and it grows, and it pops out of the ground. By the way, it's growing before it goes out of the ground. But then it pops out of this beautiful, whatever, flower, plant, vegetable weed, you know. Vegetables are weeds. You guys know that, right? So just pluck those. Some of you guys are like, oh, Harold, I'm a, I like vegetables. That's not very nice. Okay, we're not talking about a dog here. It's just a plant. But anyways, so when, when we first place our faith in Christ, okay, there's a seed planting it, planted us. And it's this real small little bit of information and understanding about who God is. And here's what it is. It's, oh, I understand that I'm a sinner. And I understand that I'm separated from God. And I understand that if I were to die in that condition, I would spend eternity in hell. But I also know that now Jesus, God the Son, put on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for me. Lived a perfect life for me. Lived, died on the cross for me. And if I believe that, if I put my faith in, if I trust that, then his, his perfect life is given to me in the sense that God sees that. I, I'm not perfect, but... And then his, uh, his death covers my death, and so I don't have to go to hell when I die. I get to go to heaven. God's Holy Spirit's in me to give me power to do life his way here on this earth for his glory. And when I die, I get to go to heaven. In one sense, that's all you need to know about God from this point forward. Because if God is that good, if God is willing to die in your place, your eternal death, my eternal death in our place, if he's that good, then when he says, Harold, don't lie, that means that's good. Harold, don't be sexually immoral. That's good. If he says, don't gossip, that's good. If he says, be with the church family, that's good. If he says, serve, that's good. You can put in any other thing. I'm just throwing out some things that were in the top of my head when I was putting this together. Whatever it is God tells us to do, if he's going to take me to heaven one day, you better believe that whatever he tells me to do on this earth right here, right now is good. 
because he wouldn't do anything bad to me. He's taking me to heaven. I'm sorry, I got a little worked up. Uh, whew, can I get a fan up here, please? <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Anyways, so that's the seed. I mean, that's the seed. And then when we start spending time in his word and hearing his word, being quick to hear it, and we, we read it and we begin to understand a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit, just like the rain and the food that goes in there and the bacon and the eggs that get into the seed and all that good stuff. Actually, boom, it blossoms. And now we know more and more about who God is and what he wants to do in our lives, how good he is. None of it's bad. And James goes on, he clarifies it, when he says, listen, receive the word and planned it, it doesn't mean just hear it. Don't just sit here and hear me talk. I mean, sit here. <laughs> don't leave. Um, no, don't just, don't just hear it. He says to, to prove it, to show that it's implanted, to make it active in your life. He says there's, there's two misconceptions that people have. That First of all, hearing, being quick to hear, it's more than just hearing. It's more than just reading. Back then they heard the scripture taught, and today you hear it, but also you should be reading it. He says, no, prove it. It's a present middle imperative. It's a command. That's what imperative means for you English people. It's a present, present middle imperative, meaning it's this ongoing, here it is again, continually, Day by day, no matter what the circumstance, we show ourselves to be a doer. A doer, it's an obeyer. It's, it refers to a life committed. Not just a week, not just a month, not just a year. It means a life committed to this. Not perfectly, not immediately. I got everything figured out. I'm awesome. Look at me. It's, no, it's, it's just a life that where you're doing this and you're working through it and you're doing what God calls you to do. Because hearers, it means that you're just passively listening. You're just passive. You're sitting there listening to whatever is being said. One of the commentaries I read used the illustration of someone auditing a class. And for those of you who have taken classes, and maybe some of you have audited classes, there's nothing wrong, you know, feel free to audit a class, but an, a person who audits a class, they don't have any skin in the game, right? They just sit there and they gather information. They, they just, information, 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 and then they can use it or not. They can take it or leave it. But if you're a student in the class, you've got to dump that back out for a grade, Right? you got some tests, papers, discussions, whatever it is. Christianity is not auditing. You don't audit Christianity. Christianity isn't just sitting there gaining more and more information. We're not wet sponges that just soak in and more and more and have some really cool little trivia fact that we can talk to somebody about and, you know, and get together with some other Christians and talk about all the cool stuff that we know about the Bible and how this Greek word means this and this Greek word means this. And, you know, Elijah was bald and called a bear out and killed these little kids. And, you know... Oh, it's just so awesome. Hearers do that. And like any sponge that soaks up a lot of water is never squeezed out, like what happens to doers, it just sits there and it molds and it's 
gross and it's discolored and it stinks. Christianity is about gaining information for its use in our lives. It's being a doer. Hearers deceive themselves. They delude themselves. It means to deceive by an argument or false reasoning. In other words, we tell ourselves lies. We reason. No one else is giving us this information. This is, what's, this is us. Us reading God's Word, us hearing God's Word. This is here. And then we're telling each other, when we're quick to speak, we're telling ourselves lies. We're deceiving ourselves. He says it's like a person that looks into a mirror. I didn't bring one with. I don't need one. I mean, my hair is always perfect. Is it not? Anyways, you know, so you're looking and, you know, oh, my hair is a mess. I woke up this morning and didn't do my hair, or I got a smudge of mustard from my hot dog yesterday. And and so the hair goes, hmm. And it walks away with the hair all up this and mustard down. And you're walking around there and they, hey, it's great. Hey, everybody. It was, hey, how are you doing? They're smiling, laughing at him. But he thinks they're just being real, you know, friendly. You're being, you know, they're being laughed at, right? I hope. Just want to let you know, I will never do that to you. Uh, I've got a comb in my pocket. If you come to church, I'm going to help you with your hair. If you've got something on your face, I'll, I'll wipe it off. Uh, you know, like my mom used to do. You have aqua nut in your hand there, mom. How do you, how do, you do that? I had hair when I was a kid, so I remember that. No, it, it's ridiculous, right? It makes no logical sense. If you look in a mirror and there's something wrong with you, you're going to fix it. I hope. But that's what a hearer does. A hearer just sees, okay, this is what God says, but eh, I'm going to go walk through life. But a doer, they look intently at. That word means to, be, to look, in close, uh, look closely at or to investigate, to get out of your hands and knees. It really has that idea. Hands and knees and really looking at what it is you're looking at. In this case, the perfect law of liberty, the Bible, the perfect mirror. We'll always find something wrong with ourselves when we look into the Bible. We better always find something wrong with ourselves in one sense, right? Because we're not God. And so it reflects back to us perfectly what God wants us to be. And when we see something that's not right, it's not lining up, our spiritual hearer isn't right, or you want to, however else want to say that. And then we correct it. We work towards correcting. We do the steps necessarily, necessary to correct it. God says, that man, that woman, that person is blessed, receives divine favor. It's not some sort of weird halo thing that follows you around all day, but God's going to bless you. In other words, he's going to give you what you need to make that change. He's, he's going to use that change in you to encourage you and to grow you in your faith in him and to show, okay, that was a hard thing for me to do, and I was afraid because of what people might say to me, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to watch him work his will it might be scary, it might be frustrating, it might be difficult, but then I'm going to see God work as well, and now I'm going to grow in my faith, and that little seed's going to get a little bit bigger. And then once it, boom, comes through the ground, other people are going to see it. And maybe even the people that made fun of you, the people that wondered what you were doing and why you did what you maybe they're going to start going, whoa, wait, that's beautiful. I'd like to know about that and why you do what you do. Well, some people say, well, okay, I get that, but you know, I, I'm religious, Harold. I, I do that. I, you know, I, I, even, I read my Bible, you know, time to time, and I come to church quite a bit, and I even sometimes hit Bible study and give it the offering plate. And, you know, I, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. He says, yeah, but if, if you can't bridle your tongue, 
See, the religious, the word there, religion, just means outward ceremonial activities. The, 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 um, the activities of worshiping God. And it could, so whatever religion you're a part of, you know, Christian religion you're a part of, and some are really elaborate and some are not so elaborate like us, um, kind of laid back. But whatever that is, the activities of it, that's, just, that's all it's talking about. So a person will say, well, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing the activities. He says, yeah, but listen, if you can't bridle your tongue, look at how long that word is. Chalina gungun. What? Anyway, it's an actual Greek word. <clears throat> but if somebody can't hold their tongue back, they can't control their tongue. Now, James is going to talk a lot about the tongue. And when he does, it's in its context, right? And so the context here is what? In reference to our response to God, specifically being quick to speak, being quick to rationalize, being quick to make excuses. So you can do all the good religious stuff that you are doing, but if it doesn't impact your life, if you're going to rationalize, if you're going to make excuses, if you're going to, you know, if we, if we do that, then our, God says, hey, listen, your activity is worthless. It means nothing to me. You may feel good. You may walk out of church feeling really good about yourself. God's like, I'm not feeling very good about that at all. It means nothing. It's worthless. And a person who claims to be a Christian but doesn't faithfully do and, and evaluate and adjust and respond deceives themselves. It means to cheat or to con yourself. You're conning yourself if you think that. God says, again, that kind of religion is worthless. But a true religion. So there is a true religion. There is some, some religious activities that will help us to grow. And so the true and the un, and under, or pure and undefiled, the clean and unsoiled religion is to visit, let's say, visit widows and, and orphans in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. So there's some things happening here. Visit doesn't mean just go and go to an orphanage. You go, hey kids, walk out. Or it doesn't mean to go over to the, you know, widow's home and say, hey, how are you? Yeah, you're a good cook. Can you know, make something for me? Visit means to personally go and relieve someone's stress, relieve someone's distress, personally be in, involved in their life and and do something to help them. So true and undefiled religion means if you're, a, if you're a doer, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're not going to just claim it but actually live it, you're going to do that. Now, back then, the most vulnerable person in society was an orphan or a widow. In fact, one of the cool stories that came out of the first century is a lot of people back then, um, they didn't do a whole lot of abortions, but what they ended up doing is that they would, their baby would be born, and if it wasn't what they wanted, they would go and hand it, they would give it, they would sacrifice it to their God and just leave it exposed until it died. So what do Christians do? That baby is made in the image of God. That baby has value. So they would take the baby home and they would raise the baby as their own. They didn't just say, I'm a Christian and that's bad. They said, I'm a Christian and I'm going to do something about it. They would go to the widow's 
and those who were suffering, because a widow back then, especially older widows, which Paul talks to Timothy about, they have no family potentially, they have no husband, they're too old, they probably wouldn't you know, find a husband potentially, and so the church was supposed to take care of them, so the church took care of the widows. And people saw that. People wrote about it. And so in our lives, you know, who's the most vulnerable? And then when we say vulnerable, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they have a beautiful house and all kinds of cars, but emotionally they're vulnerable or spiritually they're vulnerable. Who is it in your life? Who is it around you that you need to go personally and help relieve their distress? Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, who is it to be personally involved in? And not only that, but then it's to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's just one thing. But then he's saying the rest of your life, keep it unstained from the world. In other words, don't do life the way your non-Christian friends would do it. And isn't that the rub? Ultimately? I'm doing life differently than I used to do it. I'm doing life differently than my non-Christian friends are doing it. I'm starting to look a little bit strange here because they're not doing it that way and they're going to let me know that I'm a... And again, we're back to that, right? Now we're rationalizing, we're thinking through it, and we're thinking that even though, even though we place our faith in God who's going to take us to heaven one day, that what he's asking me to do is bad for me. It's not something I should do. It's too much for me. Christ died for us. And so we're to keep ourselves unstained from the world as we personally go out and impact people for Christ. So according to God, religion, pure and undefiled religion, is doing what Jesus did, right? Jesus went out and took care of people's distress, and he kept himself unstained from the world. And so we do what Christ did. We live the way Christ lived, and it's all good. Remember, last week we talked about every good thing comes from God. And so what he calls us to do is good, and it's good for us. So you ready for some takeaways? Oh, wow, okay. Glutton for punishments. Anyways, just one. So the band comes up and gets ready to close us out. You can read between their bodies. One question for all of us. How are we responding to what God's Word says to us today? Right here, right now. How are we responding to it? Because if you're like me... Um, you know, God's pointing out some areas where, hey, you know, listen, you need to get, get back in line here. This is where you're not thinking right here. You're not responding right here. You know, don't, don't think that when I study through Scripture, I'm going, I wonder what so-and-so would think. So-and-so. You know, I'm, I'm taking it for myself. I actually ask God, God, help me as I'm worshiping you through my study. Give me an insight and understanding for myself, first and foremost. So... So are you a hearer this morning? Are you slow to hear, quick to rationalize, and quick to resent? After all this, will you remain disobedient? But it, and if you do, God will consider even your religious activities worthless. It's just not the road to go down, guys. As hard as it might seem to go the other way, as easy it might seem to go down this road, it's not. Or are you going to be a doer. From this point forward, yeah, I'm going to do it. You may be quick to hear, slow to rationalize, slow to resent. Ask God, reveal to me where it is that I need to get things figured out and straightened out. Give me the strength to do it. Because God says, 
that person's going to be blessed. I'm going to give them divine favor. Again, not some, you know, just he's going to work in you and, and grow you and make you become the person he, want, he wants you to be that, that represents Christ well to the world around you. As we close this morning in this last song, I want to just encourage you, feel free to don't even sing. But I, I think we don't do this a whole lot, but I'm just challenging you. Take this last song and do business right here, right now. Don't, don't leave here without committing to one of these. If you don't commit, so commit. Commit to do. Take the song as an opportunity to do that. If it's necessary, you want to come up and just have you know prayer and make it this kind of a physical thing. I'm going to do this in front of everybody. You know, other people are going to be praying for you as they see you come up. They may not even know you. They're going to be praying for you. Feel free to do that. You don't have to. I'm just saying feel free to do if it helps. We pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity of your word. I know it's not easy for us all times to do it, but thank you for being clear. Help us to see the truth and to trust you and love you enough to say, okay, you've taken care of my heaven my eternity so help me do this because this is good for me Father I pray that those who make that choice that you would just really um, secure that in their own heart and then show them your goodness and how you respond to them and take care of them and meet your promise that you've given us here that you will bless praise in Christ's name Amen let's go ahead and stand